really fun uh, picture to show you guys today, and it is Susie, Pastor Susie, at the age of probably four or five. Uh, many of you also know my brother as well, my younger brother. I have two brothers, but this is my younger brother. Um, I don't know why I look so somber there. I look like I'm ready to direct a funeral, or I am you know, like I received really bad news. Um, but I was actually a very cheerful child, a very joyful child, but you can't really tell in that picture. In the back, you see very much, you know, 80s decoration. Uh, this was the height of luxury for us. We kind of grew up like as many immigrant families did, you know, relatively poor, but this time of the year, we made sure we went all out. And so that Charlie Christmas tree looking thing behind us. That is the height of luxury for us. My younger brother is dressed like a dwarf. Uh, my older brother, I don't know where he is, but yes, this was many, many years ago. And I actually wanted to ask the question today. You know, growing up, all of us have very different backgrounds and different families. I wanted to ask the question, um, what Christmas traditions did you have growing up? You, know, you don't need to write a whole paragraph, but uh, you know, just very shortly on our live chat, you know, I'd love to hear uh, what, you know, in, how, in, in, in what way did you celebrate Christmas growing up? So while we wait for you know, people to, <laughs> yeah, that TV is a relic, um, yes. Uh, some people celebrated, you know, with church. Um, one of the things that we did growing up is one of our dad's uh, business partners, he would dress up at Santa. But you need to remember that I grew up in Chile. That's a southern hemisphere. That means that Christmas falls in the summer. And so this poor guy would dress up as Santa with a beard and with a hat and everything, and it is scorching hot. Uh, but he would dress up as Santa. He would get in his pickup truck. I remember it was like a white pickup truck, and he would drive around, you know, uh, like our house and then uh, one another's families and, and distribute gifts. And all of us were like really young kids, and we are look at Santa. We're like, I feel like I've seen you before. Like, I, I feel like I recognize your voice. You sound a lot like my dad's friend. And we would be kind of suspicious, but we still believed in Santa until an embarrassingly old age. Yes. And so that is one of my fondest Christmas memories. I don't know until when we did that, but we did that for quite a long time. And it was, you know, the thing that we were looking forward to every Christmas morning. We had a few people... Um, <laughs> we had a few people uh, go to church, and I guess for a lot of people who grew up you know, in a Christian home, you went to church. Uh, Cindy says they had breakfast, Christmas service, and then you come home to open presents. So you open up the presents, I guess, after you've given, you've given Jesus his due. Um, you know, Mina, Pastor Mina said, other than church, we have ornaments made each year with our names on it. That's a really cute um, you know, tradition to have as a family. Um, we have someone saying that Christmas Eve, you had a candle service and that you go driving around looking for Christmas lights. That is something that I didn't know was, you know, something that people did until I lived in America. And by the time I lived in America, I was pretty old. I was, you know, in college and I was so shocked, like how much effort people put into Christmas decoration, like front, front lawn, Christmas decorations with their entire house is lit up. You have inflatable reindeer and you have, you know, strobe lights and all kinds of you know, things that would make the entire neighborhood, you know, feel so festive. Uh, we have someone saying, uh, 
you know, your presence and then breakfast and visiting family. Molly said you wake up at 5 a.m. because in African folklore, the sun dances on Christmas Day. Oh my gosh, I had no idea. That's so awesome. I, I don't know if kids would, you know, appreciate waking up at 5 a.m., but man, that is definitely memorable. Wow, that's really sweet. Um, Andrew said, uh, Christmas Eve in my grandma's house with all my cousins, so it must have been a really loud and noisy and messy affair, but that's kind of the beauty of Christmas morning. Uh, you know, Katie says, family trip and decorate the tree, uh, drink peppermint, hot chocolate from Starbucks. I guess that's Stella's grown-up version of celebrating Christmas here in Seoul. And so, man, there's all these different ways in which we celebrate. We've celebrated Christmas growing up. I'm sure that this year is a little bit different from most years. Um, even as, you know, grown adults who live here in Seoul or, or you know, Busan um, or wherever it is that you're streaming from, uh, we have celebrated Christmas as adults in a very different way. But this year is especially different uh, because of the pandemic, uh, because of, you know, different, uh, you know, travel restrictions and things like that. We are unable, you know, to fly and visit our families. We're unable to gather in big groups in our homes. Um, it is, you know, a very different different kind of Christmas, and yet there's some things that still remain the same. As, you know, Pastor David was leading us earlier today in in worship, uh, there's certain things that still remain the same, and that is that Jesus Christ is still worshipped and celebrated. Whether we have a pandemic or not, whether we're able to gather in person or not, he's still worthy of our worship. And so I am just so blessed that we get to celebrate Christmas this way this year. We give him a costly sacrifice and an offering of worship today in whatever circumstances, simply because he is worthy. He is still Lord. He's still Savior. He's still a loving father and a friend. And this year, more than ever before, we are reminded that Jesus is Emmanuel. God is with us, even when we are in our homes, in our pajamas, probably, drinking some coffee. Uh, God is there with you. He is still God, Emmanuel. He is God with us. And it wasn't just a God who came once on that Christmas evening. It was a God who remains with us now and forever. And he is even right now in our midst. And so happy Christmas Sunday. I hope that wherever you are, you're still able to celebrate it in a way. Yes, that is safe, safe, but also, you know, that brings God great glory. And so this, it's been a very interesting year. It's been filled with unexpected twists and turns. Um, and as things are winding down at the end of the year, no matter what has transpired, there's something very special about Christmas time for believers and unbelievers alike. You know, you tune into some oldies, you know, Christmas carols. There's something like warm and fuzzy inside as you listen to this. You know, you want to curl up next to a fireplace with a hot cup of cocoa and, and maybe a friend. And it's time of the year when you miss family, when it probably hurts the most not to be able to meet. Uh, and, and, and there's this overall sense of hope, an overall sense of this like return to childlike wonder, a kindness and a softness and a warmth and a tenderness that comes with the Christmas season, whether you are Christian or not. And that is something that we feel all, acro- all across the board. Um, I found this great quote by Charles Dickens, and it reads this way. Um, 
It is good to be children sometimes and never better than Christmas when its mighty founder was a child himself. It's good to be children sometimes and never better than Christmas when its mighty founder was a child himself. Isn't this such a wonderful reminder that man, if God who is all powerful, omnipotent, all seeing, Almighty, from beginning to end, if he was able to become like a child, we ourselves, maybe with our struggles, maybe with our hardships, maybe even with our cynicism at times, or hard-heartedness at times, with all these things, can't we also be like children? Can't we also return to that childlike wonder that comes with celebrating Christmas? And we need that. We need that, especially when we feel weary, especially when we feel downtrodden, especially when we've had a difficult year or the end of the year stress begins to mount up and it gets to us. We need to take a moment to reflect on what Christmas is about because at the epicenter of the Christmas story is the miracle of the incarnation. It's a profound mystery that leads us to awe and to wonder. And it leads us to worship and love a God who has given himself for us. And so today's message is titled simply, O Come, Let Us Adore. O Come, it's an invitation. Come, draw near and let us adore this God who has given himself to us. The passage we'll be reading from today is from Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 21. Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 21. And I'm going to be reading from the ESV. Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 21. If you have a Bible with you, I encourage you to open it up. If you don't have a Bible with you, um, we'll have, uh, you know, the the passage on the screen as well. Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 21, and it reads this way. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was a governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to, to Judea. To the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, so his fiance, basically, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them. In the inn. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you, is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. 
And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. All who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. And at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. Amen. Now for those who have grown up in the church, or maybe you were you were raised in a predominantly Christian nation. This nativity story, it's something that we've heard many times. You know, there's always, you know, depictions of it. Sometimes there's like nativity scene plays, you know, that you have in either, in either schools or churches. But as adults, often we don't take the time to just pause, hit the brakes, take a step back, and with childlike awe and wonder, look at the nativity scene with fresh eyes, with new eyes. Now, the concept of incarnation, sometimes it can sound so you know, cold and theological, but the incarnation, all it means is a God who is all-powerful, almighty, an eternal, uncreated son took on flesh for first time in the history of mankind. In the history of all, of all the world, this has never happened. Have you ever looked at things that you always assume are always there and you never thought about, oh, before there this actually existed because there was a time when this was invented. Like for example, email, there was a time where we didn't have email and for people who have grown up, you know, always having email, you don't think about, Oh, there was actually a time where this was actually never conceived. Like you couldn't even imagine what that would have been like in the same way. When we think about the incarnation of the uncreated God, a God who was from age to age, a God who's been worshipped from generation to generation. There was a time where the incarnation was inconceivable, when you couldn't even picture what that would be like when an almighty God would assume the form of a servant. And so the incarnation, although often it is relegated to us, just merely a doctrine that we believe in. And even at our membership class, we talked about, we believe in the incarnation. Of course, this is what makes us Orthodox Christians. The incarnation means so much more than just a theological proposition. For us, as we meditate on the incarnation this Christmas Sunday, I encourage you to meditate on these three different things today. First thing, the incarnation tells us you have 
dignity. You have dignity as a human being. The fact that the uncreated, almighty, all-powerful God, the almighty son, took on the frame of a human, it says you have Dignity. There's dignity in the human frame. Because sometimes in our efforts to acknowledge the weaknesses of our frame and to combat sin, we begin to view the human frame as only evil, as only weak, as only broken. While the good news of the incarnation is that the Son of God restored dignity to the human frame. The incarnation tells us Not of a God who overrides the human frame. It tells us of a God who takes on the human frame. Jesus was not 50% human and 50% God. He was 100% human and 100% God. This is the mystery and the marvel, the wonder of the incarnation. A God who didn't see the human frame as too lowly to take on its form. A God who came down to us in the form of a servant. That gives us, as broken humans, as sinful humans, that gives dignity to our frame. Now let me give you this example, and it might seem at first kind of far-fetched, but Follow me with this example. You know, this year, without getting too far into politics and, and whatnot, this year, the idea of representation, it actually came front and center in many ways through different things that happened in the news, through different things that were happening in politics and, and you know, the, the social justice movement, all of that. It came front and center. And so this idea of representation is not unique to the Christian faith. This year we've seen different news stories where it actually touches on this idea of of association, a representation. Seeing someone that looks like you in a place of oppression, it makes you hurt vicariously. And at the same time, seeing someone like you in a place of honor, in a place of acknowledgement, in a place of celebration, somehow gives your own existence great dignity. Now, I didn't grow up in the States, so I... I actually am fairly new to this idea of, you know, racial, you know, conflict and, and all of that. In Chile, it was pretty straightforward. There are barely any Asians, so racism was kind of a fact of life. But in, 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 in the States, and especially as I've been having more dialogue with people, um, something that especially happened, you know, over the last couple of years with Asian Americans, there was a sense of, like, as more Asian Americans made it into, you know, the big screen, like, there's different movies. That it, where it wouldn't be the side character, but it would be the main character that's an Asian American or a different ethnicity. This was a huge deal in the Asian American community. And for me, it took me a long time to understand why. And it's this idea of, man, seeing yourself being represented so clearly, it brings honor and validation to who you are. You feel seen, you feel heard, you feel acknowledged by humanity. And so this idea that you see someone like you being represented in the screen, it says something about you. It speaks something to you. And in the same way this past year, where we've seen a lot of different cases where someone who looks like you 
you know, bears oppression or bears, you know, hatred. This hurts you as well. Even if it's not happening directly to you, it hurts you as well. Because you feel like you are identified with this person, you know, who is absorbing, you know, this kind of negative attention. And you feel like because they are receiving that, you in some ways are receiving it as well. So this idea of representation and feeling associated, identified by that person You feel like you're one with them in some ways. This is not something that is purely in a Christian framework. This is also something that intuitively we know as humankind, whether we are Christian or not. Now follow this train of thought with me just for a second. There is an uncreated, all-powerful, perfectly just, unbearably merciful God that sits at the right hand of God, the father almighty. And he looks like you. He has 10 fingers like you. He has, you know, a a particular color of skin. He has a certain tone in his voice. He has a certain way of laughing. He has a certain texture to his hair. He has a certain length to his hair. He is actually wearing something. You know, as unthinkable as it seems, there's someone who looks like you, who is seated at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. Someone with skin and bones like you. Someone with a certain cadence in his speech, He even has a certain accent. Have you thought about that? He has a certain accent in the way that he speaks. He has a certain sense of humor. I'm sure he doesn't like puns because he's perfect. And so I'm pretty sure that's not part of his sense of humor. But he has a sense of humor as well. This is the God that we worship. And we only understand this because God, the uncreated God, became flesh. The uncreated word became flesh. He became a person like you and I. And Hebrews 1 says it this way. In the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times and in various ways. So it was, we heard of it secondhand. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom he made the universe. The son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. John 1 says the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. First John says that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched. This we proclaim concerning the word of life. In other words, we're not talking about about an idea or a concept here. We've actually touched this God. We've actually held his hand. We've actually heard his voice. Our eyes have actually seen him as surely as I'm seeing you. Our eyes have actually seen this God. And this is the person that we are testifying to. 
This is the God who drew near to us. And in turn, he beckons us to draw near, to stand in awe, to approach the manger, to approach a God who became like us. Because second, the incarnation, it says, you can draw near. You have the ability to draw near. Those who were far off, those who felt insignificant, those who felt overlooked, those who felt too unimportant to draw the attention of this king. The incarnation beckons us and it tells us each man and each woman made in the image of God. It tells us you can now draw near because this baby in a manger did what no moral law and what no ceremonial law could do. What generations of people worshiping the tabernacle with lambs and bulls and doves of sacrifices could do. This God didn't just give us laws, didn't just give us programs and procedures. He gave us himself as a person. Now, recently... I felt this afresh as I was listening to Christmas carols. This is the time of the year where usually a lot of people listen to Christmas carols. And a song that actually I've never really been fond of, because I never really understood it, is, is, is a song called The Little Drummer Boy. Little Drummer Boy. It's such a random song to me, right? The lyrics go, come, they told me. And then it goes, pa-ra-pa-pum-pum. And every other line is pa-ra-pa-pum-pum. And maybe it's because, you know, the pa-ra-pa-pum-pum interjects, you know, the flow of thought. Every other line. But I never actually looked at the lyrics. I never really understood what the song was about. And it says this, right? Come, they told me, a newborn king to see. Our finest gifts we bring to lay before our king. And so to honor him when we come. Baby Jesus. And then this is the line that really got me. I am a poor boy too. And when I listened to this, I was like, huh. I've never really thought about that. I am a poor boy too. So it's, you know, the story, the story behind the song, right? Is that it's a poor drummer boy. He has nothing to give baby Jesus. And all he has is his drum and all he has is ability to play. And so, you know, the story goes, you know, he comes before Jesus and all he has, he gives to him. And that is his song, right? But, but the fact that this poor drummer boy felt like he could approach this baby lying in a manger is that he realizes like, you know what? I'm a poor boy too. So if anybody knows what it feels like to not have anything of value to give, it might be you, Jesus. I also know what it means like to not have enough to get by. I also know what it means, you know, to feel cold in the winter. I also know what it, what it feels like to maybe not have a full stomach every meal. I, I'm a poor boy too. And as I was listening to this Christmas carol that is, you know, like I I think about it as, you know, sentimental, but relatively meaningless. Like when I heard the lyrics for first time again, I'm like, I've never thought about Jesus as a poor boy. Like, yeah, he was a poor boy. And this little drummer boy, he looked at him. He's like, I can relate. I can approach. I feel welcome. If it was this rich you know, kid, you know, baby born just like, you know, many of the royals are born, you know, today. 
Like, no, there would be, you know, a, what do you call it? A red, what do you call that? You know, when you don't, are not given access? Red rope? Yes, right? You're not allowed to approach. You can stay, you know, you can maybe come, but stay, you know, an arm's length distance. Like, you can't really come near. But it's this baby who's lying in his manger, and all of a sudden, this God that previously felt unapproachable now feels like you can come. Let me put it this way. You know, in our, in our church, we have many young families. And this is perhaps, you know, for, for many of our families, it's your first Christmas, you know, as a mother or as a father. You know, even Pastor David, this is your first Christmas as a dad. And I know it feels like such a long time ago, but when these babies first come out, you know, they look so, so frail, but, but like, you know, like they couldn't hurt a fly, right? Maybe moms feel different about this, but yeah, they, they feel like they could do nothing wrong. And it's like our human nature to like, we're just drawn to the babies. Like, like, you know, like when we met in person in our sanctuary, uh, you know, and a family came in with a baby. We're like, oh my gosh. You know, we'd crowd around and we'd be like, oh my gosh, they look just like you. And oh my gosh, I can't believe his fingers are so tiny. And oh my gosh, look at his frown. I'm talking about Zion who frowns at me every time, right? He looks at me like this, like I've done something wrong. Uh, but it's they're so approachable. There's nothing that says, hey, stay away. You know, nothing about them says that it's the most approachable form that a human being can take. And this is the form that Jesus chose to take on as he came into the world. He didn't show up as a 30-year-old with a full-grown beard. He came as a baby in a manger. And this tells us, for all of us who feel like we cannot approach this God, for all of us who feel like, man, like I better get my act together before I come to this God, this is the God who says, come. You don't, you don't need to fix yourself before you come. You can approach. You are safe. You can come as close as you want. This is the God that put on flesh. He bids us to come. To come and adore. To come and draw near. To come and dare to believe that there's an, invi- there's an invitation for you to come. That you are welcome. You know, our, our, our church vision statement is, you know, calling all to the feast. This is, this is it, the incarnation of Jesus Christ. It's a feast that you are called to, to come to partake in this joy and in this, you know, this unbelievable mercy and grace that we've been given because God himself came close. The incarnation says to us, you can draw near. Maybe there's some of you who are maybe tuning in and, you know, you haven't been to church in a long time. And maybe you're not a regular church goer and you feel like, man, maybe you're here because this year has been rough and you want to see like, what, what does the word have to offer? What does Christ have to offer? And this is my encouragement to you. Christ says, come. Even if you feel like, man, I can't step into a church building. Man, I I can't go in after all these years. Man, you don't know what what kind of year I've been having. The message is nonetheless the same. Jesus Christ 
says, come. You have nothing to fear. You can approach. You can be yourself. And you can come. The invitation is open to you as well. Now, lastly, if the incarnation tells us you have dignity, and it also says you can draw near, the incarnation also says you have hope. You have hope. Even when everything around you says, man, when will this all end? Like, man, it's like Murphy's Law drawn out for an entire year. Like everything that could go wrong went wrong this year. Even if you feel that way, the fact that God became flesh and dwelt among us says to us that we have hope in the midst of hopelessness. That there is light even in the midst of darkness. It is said that Christianity is unlike any religion in the world. Any religion in the world. It doesn't matter you know, if it's from the East or from the West, if it's new or if it's old, it doesn't matter. Christianity is unlike any other religion in the world. Whether it be Hinduism or Buddhism or atheism or New Age, you know, uh, shamanism, Scientology, whatever. Christianity is unlike any other religion in the world. In that all religions speak of man searching for God. But only Christianity speaks of God searching for man. Only Christianity has a God who knows that we cannot reach him. No matter how many sacrifices we put on the altar. No matter how many times we wash ourselves. you know, No matter how many good deeds we do. We are Helpless, we are hopeless in finding God, and He Himself has to come to us first. Christianity is the only religion in the world that gives us a God who is with us, a God who is Emmanuel, a God who comes searching for us, a God who finds us first. In the garden after the fall, when God came down to ask Adam, Adam, where are you? In the burning bush, when he called out Moses, Moses, and he drew him to this burning bush. Through the tabernacle and sacrificial system and the holy of holies, as he allowed an unholy people to meet with a holy God. Through the prophets who called out to an idolatrous, stiff-necked people to return to God, but most clearly... Most vividly through the incarnation. Jesus Christ, the uncreated son who was there before the creation of the world, was born into the very world he himself created. And the God who dreamed up the incarnation is a God of justice and of mercy. A God of glory and And also lowliness, a God of power, but also a God of humility. No other man and no other God can reconcile these paradoxical character traits and natures in one self, in one being. This is the God that we worship. A God who is high, but a God who is also lowly. A God who is with us. 
even right now. And that gives us hope. Earlier this week, as again, I was listening to a ton of Christmas music, and there was, you know, a rendition of Oh Holy Night, and this is probably one of my favorite Christmas songs. And this whole song is about, like, this is such a holy, such a divine night. But have you ever thought, you know, thought about it from the perspective of Mary? Yeah, it must have been a, a holy night, but also a night that is filled with maybe shame as someone who's engaged to be betrothed and yet nine months pregnant. Maybe it was a night of uncertainty, like how is this really, you know, like, am I really carrying the son of God? Um, what will the next years bring? Like, what will people say? How am I going to, if I can't even find a place to give birth to this child, how am I going to, you know, raise this child? And, you know, all these different things that are uncertain for Mary, it must have been a night that was filled with pain, with uncertainty, and maybe even with shame. But underneath all of that, there was still the sense of wonder. An author called uh, Barbara Taylor, she says this, on the one hand, Mary was just a girl, an immature and frightened girl who had the good sense to believe what an angel told her in what seemed like a dream. But on the other hand, she was the mother of the son of God with faith enough to move mountains to sing about the victories of her son as if he were already at the right hand of his father instead of a dollop of cells in her womb. When we allow God to be born in us, there is no telling, no telling at all, what will come out. So Mary, maybe she heard this, you know, this is what's going to happen. The Holy Spirit will overshadow you and you will be with child. You know, maybe, you know, especially our, our, our moms in, in our congregation, you can't really see your, you know, your belly starting to show until months later, right? And the most part, unless you, you know, you get very, you know, like sick and stuff in the beginning, you can almost not tell that there's a baby growing inside of you. And this is before, you know, what do you call that? Um, ultrasound. Yeah, this is before ultrasound. She just heard this word told to her by an angel. And then she begins months later, she begins seeing her belly grow before ultrasound. So she has to believe there must be a baby in there. And this is the night where she finally sees what's been growing within her all along. I wonder how many times she, you know, in in those nine months leading up to this moment, I wonder how many times she doubted what she heard. How many times she was like, is that like, was it just a bad dream? Like, was that, was, was that in my imagination? How many times she was, you know, she second guessed this thing and it, you know, it would be completely human for her to think that way. And yet she held fast to the promises of God, even when there was uncertainty, even when the future was unclear and she saw one of the greatest miracles in all of human history, happen that day through her faith, through her carrying this promise of this Messiah that had finally come to save a people. She saw this miracle 
happen before her eyes. This is the God that we worship. I'm going to close with this as, you know, Pastor David comes up and gets ready, you know, to lead us in a closing song. You know the story, you know, in the, in the Old Testament that talks about Jacob working for Laban in order to win the hand of one of his daughters. And in his mind, you know, the one that he wanted was Rachel. And yet he was given Leah first. And the interesting thing about the story is that, yes, he got both wives, but he very clearly loved one of them. You know, Leah was kind of old news. Like she was kind of cast to the side and it was Rachel that got all the attention. It was Rachel that got all the love. It was Rachel that got all the adoration. And an interesting part in this story is that the word says that the Lord saw Leah. He saw that she was not loved and he loved her. God saw a perhaps mistreated cast aside, overlooked, unseen, unnoticed, you know, neglected person by the name of Leah. He saw her and he loved her. And this is what Tim Keller says about the story. The text says that when the Lord saw that Leah was not loved, he loved her. God was saying, I am the real bridegroom. I am the husband of the husbandless. I am the father of the fatherless. This is the God who saves by grace. The gods of moralistic religions favor the successful and the overachievers. They are the ones who climb the moral ladder up to heaven. But the God of the Bible is the one who comes down into this world to accomplish a salvation and give us grace we could never attain for ourselves. This is hope for the unloved. This is hope for the mistreated. This is hope for the neglected, the isolated, the depressed, the anxious, the poor, the insecure. This is hope for those who feel like they can't reach God. This is the good news of the gospel. And this is what we celebrate on Christmas Day. God saw our hopelessness. He saw we were unloved. He saw we were overlooked and neglected and unable to save ourselves. We could have lived to the age of 200 years and every day tried to reach him and we could still not attain it. And it's this God that came down for us. This is the hope that we have for today. So my exhortation for all of us today is, oh, come let us adore this God who came for us. This is what we celebrate on Christmas. This is hope for the hopeless. This is a message that brings life that brings joy, that brings relief and peace when our lives are a mess and when everything all around us is chaos, even then, the light of Christ 
a God who came down for us. A God who came down and remains with us is all the hope that we need for today. So I'm going to close us in prayer. God, we take a moment to quiet our hearts. Maybe for some of us, it's been quite a long year. There's been much that was unexpected, much that was out of our control. Many reasons to be anxious, many reasons to feel uncertain, many reasons to feel uncared for. And so we hold fast to this truth that cannot and will not be shaken no matter what our circumstances. You are the God who made a way. You are the God who brought light into the midst of the darkness. You are the God who loved so much that you didn't just stay far off. You didn't just wait it out. You're a God who came running to us. You're a God who came and invaded, a God who reconciled with himself a world that was fallen and a God that is holy. That is our hope. That is our desire to know this God, to worship this God, to celebrate this God, to find our joy and our reward in this God. If we felt far away this whole year, if we felt isolated from other people and also from you, God, may this be the moment where we dare to approach you. We dare to approach your manger. We dare to approach this God who takes on the form of a man that we would draw near. We thank you for today and we celebrate you today. May your love overflow in everything that we do. May your love overflow in our lives as we wrap up this year. And yes, maybe this is not the Christmas that we pictured. And yes, it's and yet it's a Christmas that demands our worship, demands our adoration. A Christmas that we will remember one way or another. May it be that we remember it for worship. May it be that we remember it for faith and for hope. We love you, Father. We love you, Jesus. We love you, Holy Spirit. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.